Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We are also brought to you by Aria Benefits. We help businesses like yours get the most out of your biggest investment, your people. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, and here with me, as always, my co-host and business partner, Al McDonald. Al, how's your day going so far? It's been a great day. We've been talking to some great people, and we're about to talk to another one. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Well, on that note, Al, I got to tell you, it's interesting how today's guest came up on my radar. So the Globe and Mail's top 400 of Canada's top growing companies comes out. And I see this person's firm placed 14th on the list, get ready, with almost 3,700% revenue growth. I had to actually reread that figure again. So not only that, I see he's on the cover of the report. So I'm like, hmm. So as business owners ourselves, my interest is peaked right away. So I look him up and I see his comments of being, and I'll let him maybe correct my quote, because I don't know if I have it exactly right, but about something along the lines of being a kid that wasn't even supposed to graduate high school. I mean, right then and there, I knew I had to reach out and have a conversation. So joining us today is Mark Lafleur, CEO and co-founder at True Local, based out of Kitchener, Ontario. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. I'm really excited to be here. I'm great intro. I really appreciate that. So yeah, I'm excited to dive in with you. I'm really excited too, because I, I really was intrigued and, and you and I had a conversation before the podcast, obviously, and that just kind of furthered my interest in your story. So really great to have you here. Looking forward to hearing your story. But why don't we start with right at the beginning, what or who is True Local? Yeah, so True Local, we've been building this for the past four years. You know, I've been fortunate enough to be the co-founder and CEO. And four years ago, the business started out as just trying to give people an easy and convenient way to shop for locally raised meat products. And we're talking locally raised meat products, value-added meat products. So that's everything from 100% grass-fed beef, pasture-raised chicken. The only stuff we have that's not from the province is our fish because we have wild-caught fish. So that's one of the big focuses for us. And yeah, you know, over the past four years, we've been able to expand that across the country. We're operating locally in Ontario, Alberta, and BC. And the way that we solved this problem was by creating an, an online e-com shop that would connect you directly to local producers in your area. So now what you can do is you can go online and instead of having to drive to three or four different farms to get your beef, your chicken, your pork, your buffalo, your fish, you have a one-stop shop where you can go on, you can mix and match any product you want from producers in your province. We have over 130 different cuts of meat and we'll deliver it right to your house. So it's been a pretty exciting past four years. And then about two years ago, we kind of realized some of the deeper purposes about what we were trying to do and really got some more alignment on what the problems that we we're trying to solve were. So it's definitely been an exciting four years and most recently culminating with the, the cover of the Globe and Mail. So it's been great. That's very cool. And we're recording later afternoon and you're talking about wild caught fish and buffalo. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay. This is a good conversation to have about this time of day. Yeah, I'm starting to uh, get hungry. <laughs> so Mark, tell us a little bit about uh, where the idea for the business came from. Yep. So the idea came from because I actually spent four years doing door-to-door meat sales. So I had some experience there. 
Uh, I always tell people I, I couldn't really tell you how I got the job. I was in university and my roommate, he was a little older than we were. So he used to go to work every day and we would ask him where he was going. And he said, hey, I work for this company. And they're like, you know what? You talk really fast. Why don't you try doing sales? So I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And I was already working three jobs, you know, through university, just paying through school and walked in, got the job. And then, you know, immediately kind of found a knack for sales. And then, you know, after about a year, I'd already been one of the better sales reps in the company and they ended up giving me the opportunity to open my own branch out in London whenever I graduated. So then I started to learn management. I started to learn a little bit more how the business works. And the whole concept was people will go door to door, provide you with a free sample and then try to sell you a year's worth of meat. So I watched that for four years and the company was doing really well and the product was good, but I kind of saw where the market was going and door to door was definitely going out the window and, you know, trying to get someone to buy a year's worth of meat anymore. didn't really make any sense. You know, if the product is that good, you don't need to trick someone into signing up for a year. Why don't you give them the option to cancel whenever they want? So I figured why not use best practices from other industries? True local is my third startup. So I've been able to dabble kind of into the startup world and the tech world a little bit with failed startups prior to this. But those failures kind of led me to at least have a good base understanding of what could be done with, like I said, the best practices that are already out there. So we took best practices from e-com, we took best practices from SaaS, even best practices from you know real estate using lead generation. And we figured why not take these and bring it to an underserved market, which is the meat space and meat's arguably the most controversial product when it comes to food. So we felt that there was a big opportunity here. And that's what led us to you know launching our website or we started off with three products chicken breast, steak, and ground beef. And then now we've grown two of us, three products into 55 of us and 130 products in Ontario alone. Wow, that's incredible. And you talk about, and it's it's kind of a common theme I'm beginning to hear from very successful people like yourself. And the fact that you failed a few times before. You know, some of the most successful people that we've been chatting with openly admit, yep, tried this, didn't work, tried this, didn't work. And I think what I'm beginning to see is people like yourself, they don't see it as failure necessarily. They see it as, okay, learn that, maybe learn what didn't work, maybe took a piece that was working, we can take that and, and put it into somewhere else. Because I'm beginning to see people like yourself, they don't stop at, well, you failed there, I guess it's all over. We are beginning to see that as, as a common theme with people like yourself. So on that note, as an entrepreneur, someone who has done sales, moved into management, grown their own company and, and grown your company quite rapidly from what I understand, what were the key ingredients or driving forces that led you to become an entrepreneur in the first place? I was just a bad student and you know, didn't really like having a boss. You know, if we're being honest, I think a lot of people like to dive in and talk about this, you know, big, massive inspiration. I think that does work really well for a lot of people, but there's a lot of other people who just didn't want to kind of go through the status quo. And I think I kind of fell into that. But to me, living in the world the way it was, wasn't going to work. I just don't have an interest in working for five years to maybe get a promotion and work till retirement. It just didn't vibe with me. And I also like to think that I've had some good ideas. You know, I like to think that, you know, I had a good eye for design and, you know, I like strategy and I had no business background whatsoever, but these are kind of traits that I have. And to be honest, I would even attribute some of them to just playing video games, being crafty in high school. You know, we didn't come from a lot of money, still paying off my OSAP today. And my parents did absolutely everything they could to give me the best life that we could have, but we didn't have, we didn't have a car growing up, right? That kind of taught me how to be resourceful. And I think you kind of couple all these things together. And for me, the only real option was to kind of create my own success. 
I was working for that company, making really great money. And it just wasn't really enough. It wasn't enough for me to say that I'm content being at this point in my life ongoing. It wasn't worth it for me to have to play by somebody else's rules. It really just kind of boiled down to if I wanted to live the life I wanted to live, I was gonna have to build it myself. You said that you've already had a few startups and uh, gone through this a few times. Looking back, if you were starting out again today, is there anything that you would say, wow, uh, you know, now that I know, I wish I'd known that way back when? Yeah, it's all on the team. Everything is the team. So you can have one person find the vision or the mission or the motivation or the path. But everything after that is going to be based on who you team up with, who you partner with, and who's going to join you on that mission. When we look at where we've been at today, none of that would have been possible without the team we've put together. And when I look back on it, I would say that that's probably one of the most important things that I think people like to rush into. If you partner with someone just because, hey, we had this idea together and we should go do this off, there's a good chance of London failure. I've seen startups that literally have broken apart because of founders going at each other. And when you look at starting a business, the uphill battle that you have to fight for you know, one, two, three, four, five years, you're fighting a war against all these external forces. The last thing you can have happen is try to fight a war internally. So I think that trying to find that chemistry, and it doesn't even need to be a situation. And I'm not in no way, shape, or form speaking in respect to any of the startups I've done before or True Local, just things I've seen in the past and advice that I would give is that it's not even if you have to be really tight with that founder, but if you guys have mutual respect and you have complementary skill sets, or maybe you have the same skill set, you complement each other on that skill set, and you need to find a third partner or a fourth partner, that's fine. But I think alignment and mutual respect is one of the most important things you have to find starting off because you'll see so many startups fizzle out in their first year because they're too busy bickering with one another than to actually focus on the goal and executing in the business. Mark, you bring up a really good point because you know when we started, we're going into our 16th year in, in 2021. And at the beginning, there were four partners. And three of us have had a vision. And I won't say we've had the same vision because it's evolved over time. It's had to, especially most recently. But three of us had the same vision and one had a different vision every once in a while. And and not that it was right or wrong. And we parted ways at that time. And it was the it was the best thing because you're right. You you've got to have that alignment and you've got to have that internal respect for the person that you're working with. You don't necessarily have to be best friends. But I think that vision of where you want to take the company and what you represent and, and what you stand for does have to be in alignment as you move forward. Absolutely. I totally agree. And once again, I think the, the main thing you said there is that you don't have to like each other. I think a lot of people think that being able to work together or mutual respect is based off liking one another. As long as you have the respect, you can build something and you can keep moving forward. And even to your point, if you guys lost a founder at some point, that happens a lot. People say that as a bad thing. If you guys have respect for one another, that could be a really easy, smooth, great yeah. situation. You know, The founder could be getting cashed out. You guys might buy the stock back that you believe is going to be worth more in the future. If you're really smooth, but when you lose the respect, that's where things get held up just for the sake of being held up. It becomes an ego play. It becomes just, I just want to be petty and not do it your way because I want to prove you right. And as soon as you get into that sort of mindset, like I said before, you're, you're already doomed because you've got all these other factors weighing down on you while you're trying to yeah. build a business. You're 100% right. And we, we were very fortunate that it worked out for everyone. We still know he's in the business today. He's doing well and we wish him well as well. And of course, it's worked out well for us as well. So you're absolutely right. I'm going to ask you a question that I like asking some people and finding out what's been the most satisfying moment in the business. Honestly, I think that one of the most satisfying moments in the business, and this is unique to True Local, I like to think, is because when we started True Local, we started the business with, it was all friends. Literally, we started off me and a buddy, and then we hired my girlfriend and then brought her brother on and then hired her friends and hired some more of my friends. And probably for the first 10 or 15 of us, it was all friends. And everybody tells you that don't hire or work with friends, which I completely refute. Like I'm, I'm 100% against that. I believe that 
to get a business off the ground, you need people that are going to be willing to go above and beyond. And having friends and family are what will maybe allow that to happen. Because a lot of the times you can bring on tons of experience and they're not really in it. So I think one of the most satisfying things for us, and it only happened recently, was when it kind of flipped the script to seeing friends and family look as though, hey, you know, are we going to make it? You know, we're doing a favor, trying to do this to the point where it was like, wow, we're actually happy in this job. You know, we've built something amazing together and kind of got over that hump. Like I said, it's only happened in the past couple of years, been around for four years. And watching that kind of flip from being like, look, did I make the right choice to wow, this was a great choice and being proud of what we've built, I think was one of the proudest moments of my life, or at least in the business, because that's just a huge kind of, I guess it's a milestone in general, you know, kind of flipping it to be like, hey, we've actually built something, we've built something successful, it's growing, we've got a brand, and knowing that we did it with all friends is something that's really awesome. That's interesting. I'm going to go back to something you said earlier on in in the episode, and you were talking a little bit about the corporate culture that you've built And it sounds like, you know, you built that with friends in the beginning, but as you've continued to grow the company, is there anything unique you've done to build that strong internal culture that you need to grow any company? I think all businesses are unique. I think that there's a lot of strategies and playbooks that you can check out. But at the end of the day, I think they just give you examples of what worked for other companies. And you can kind of steal, you know, 5%, 6%, 10% of them there. I think for us... I don't think there's anything unique that we did. I think we just, once again, we were friends. We learned how to work together. We had mutual respect. We put our customers first. And I think that as we started bringing more people in, because we already had this really tight culture, every person we brought in kind of got involved in that culture as well. Everyone likes to start a business and say, hey, look, here's our culture. It's empathy and honesty. And these are our missions. It's like, look, those aren't real things. That's not your culture. Culture is what you do. There's actually a great book by Ben Horowitz. I think it's called Culture is What You Do, Not What You Say or something along those lines. And it talks about it. And what we do actually to help define culture is that we knew that we don't have a culture starting on day one, right? You can't just say that our culture is empathy and then, oh, everyone now, it's part of our culture. So what we did is we started doing these book clubs. So every month we'll do a book club and it's optional, but you know, wink, wink. So we'd have everybody come to this book club. We'll cover the cost of the book. And we do these different business books or biographies. You know, we've done everything from uh, Creativity Inc., which is the Pixar story following Ed Cadmiel. We've done Becoming from Michelle Obama. We've done uh, the Netflix story, all these different stories. And then what we do is we read it together. And then we distill one sentence or maybe one image. It could be anything. But the main takeaway that we felt we could apply to the business from the book. What we do is over the course of a year, we end up with 12. And by that time, we can circle back after a year and say, hey, which ones did we really embody? Which ones matter the most? So that way, it's not like you're just coming up with this culture on the spot and then trying to live up to it. You're kind of building this culture as you go, seeing what resonates with you and then looking back and saying, hey, what are we? Because like I said, the culture is what you do. It's not what you say you do. So I think that kind of was a, something that maybe we did that was a little bit unique. But once again, I think that that works well for True Local. And I think a lot of different businesses have amazing strategies on how to build their cultures. Yeah, I think I can tell you that's unique from my own experience because I don't know about you, Al. I mean, I've been in this business 20 odd years and I've talked to C-suite people every day for you know those 20 odd years. And Mark, you are the first person that has told me you guys have a book club. Yeah. Um, and, and now, you know what, Al, on, on Monday, what we're going to be talking about, hey, book club, what no, do we what? start with? What do we start with? Yeah, no, exactly. I, I think that's fantastic. This is what I love about this series, Mark. You know, talking with CEOs, finding out their stories, why they're successful. And the CEOs we speak to sometimes don't necessarily know all the things that they do that make them successful. And it's through these conversations that we just got out of the book club. I mean, that is such a fantastic idea that, you know, we're going to be able to share out because of this conversation. So I really thank you for that. 
Yeah, no problem. Ironically, once again, the whole idea of the book club came out of necessity, uniqueness to our business. When we started off, we couldn't afford to pay people market wage. Like all the people, the friends and family that we brought on board, they did it as a favor. They came on and did it. So the one thing that I always try to promise people was that, hey, look, we might not be able to pay you market rate, but we will work on personal development as much as possible. You'll get the unique experience of building a business from the ground up. So not only will you learn on the day-to-day of running the business, but we'll also do as much as we can. So the one thing that we would do is I'll always be more than happy to invest in conferences, invest in online courses. And then once again, looking at the book club. So that strategy that I guess when you talk about building culture came out of necessity from our business in a unique fashion. So I think that a lot of things that businesses look to do come from that if you keep an eye out for it. Love it. That's great. So I've got a question for you, Mark, and I'm hoping that we'll hear a little bit about Robin's comment at the very beginning about how you've done well for someone who shouldn't have even graduated high school or, or something like that. I'm hoping you'll, you'll tell us a little bit of that story. But tell us about obstacles that you've faced personally and how, how you've overcome them. Yeah, just like anybody else, I deal with tons of challenges on a daily basis. And then you decide you want to start a business and that 10x is right. I think that to your point, the one unique trait, I don't know if you guys have heard of the book, I think it's by Jim Collins uh, from Good to Great. Yeah. And they analyze these businesses that just have this extraordinary track record of growth, efficiency. And what they do is they go and interview the CEOs to figure out what's the main factor. And one of the biggest factors in the leadership is obviously being a level five leader, if you read the book. But on top of that, what makes a level five leader is typically founders, CEOs, CTOs, whoever the leader is, just never gives up. It's not a failure. It's just they keep on going. They're like, look, we're going to face roadblocks. So I think for me, one of the biggest things, I actually wrote an article on this, but tips for any first time founder. I think that a lot of people love to glorify what it's like to be an entrepreneur and be a founder. And what I've noticed a lot is over time, people started getting into, no, this is the reality of being a founder. And then you watch the pendulum swing again. And now you've got people saying, well, no, look, overworking and not having work-life balance, that's not okay. My perspective on it is that you know it is a grind starting a business. One major tip that you can have to, to make it a little easier is to understand that you will face obstacles on a daily basis. I think just by having a realistic perspective on it, it puts you more in a problem-solving mindset. You wake up expecting something to happen to you. You're always kind of going to be ready to deal with it. If you expect that you close a major deal or if you sign a new client that, oh, or you hire people or you raise some funds that now things are going to get easier, there's no more problems. Well, then now obstacles start blindsiding you and it's like boxing or anything else, right? The ones you don't see always hurt the most. So I think that understanding that being a a founder is going to be very difficult is a big part of it. And once again, to everybody who's like, well, you need that work-life balance and it's not all about that. I've actually started looking at the people who say that and it surprisingly is serial entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs who are on their third or fourth successful venture typically have money in the bank and typically are now in a position to be able to say, hey, you know what? Take your foot off the gas a little bit. That's very different than being a first-time founder. When you lay everything on the line, you don't have the savings in the bank, and it is literally do or die, let alone if you bring your friends on board, let alone if you've got family involved, let alone if you've got investors. It's like you got to live up to that challenge. If that challenge requires you to work 80 hours a week, it's not about glorifying it. It's not about seeking it out, but sometimes it's a necessity if you're a first-time founder with your back against the wall. So in terms of obstacles, I would just say, like, understand that for everybody out there who's run a business and was super successful on the first go, please, I would love to talk to you. And I got to hear that story. (laughs) I want to learn from you. But the majority of us, like, you're going to go through the grind for the first one or two years. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Your comments around coming into the office and not expecting things to go wrong or things to happen is not realistic. And it, it reminds me of a conversation I had with a buddy that I went to high school with. 
I went the route of this route, you know, going out on my own and building a firm. I was on my own first and then partnered up with Alan Joe and, and built, you know, our first company. And then our second brand we launched two years ago. But I remember having a conversation and he had gone the route, graduated university, got a job, got a promotion, got the pension plan, the whole bit. And, went, and we were having a conversation one time and he was saying, you know, he didn't like his boss or what have you. And he said, God, Rob, you're so lucky. You own your own business. And I just kind of shook my head because that's the perception, right? Like, you know, they don't see the hours of work, the the time you put in, the uh, sleepless nights, sometimes going home to your spouse and saying, hey, there's no paycheck because we had to cover everyone else off and we're the owner. So we, you know, we're the last one to get paid sort of thing. But, you know, it seems to be there's this perception that, wow, you own a company, you mustn't have any worries. And for me, it's, it's just, when I look at him, it's just the opposite. I said, you've got a share purchase plan, you've got great benefits you've got a pension plan holidays vacations (laughs) yeah it's kind of funny to see those different uh, perspectives it really is yeah it's definitely hard as a founder when you've got friends that don't understand and they're like aren't you your own boss just take tonight off exactly meanwhile your email's blowing up you got four fires on the go and you know they're just trying to tell you don't worry about it worry about it tomorrow i think it's kind of like it's a deeper rooted thing in general i think humans are going to be humans people don't tend to relate to other people's side of the story like if you are let's say in that you're employed you've got your benefits and your structured job you don't understand what's going on in the founder's life and on the flip side too i've always said that as a founder if you're down in the dumps you know you got three pieces of bad news that compounded over the course of a week and you're like oh my god i would do anything to have a cozy job well, that individual has got the same problems too. Maybe yeah. him and his spouse work different schedules. Maybe yeah. he doesn't get to spend enough time with his kids because he's working X, Y, Z. You know, there's always these different things. So I think it boils back down to just appreciating where you're at. If you're not happy with what you're doing and you think, hey, wow, you're super lucky. We'll either go do that or understand that there's probably two sides to that story as well. Al, anything to add before we wrap up? One of the comments that I would have is, and again, I say this a lot, but every single time I sit down with someone like Mark, someone who's successful, someone who's driven, I learned something that we're going to be able to take to our boardroom on, you know, the Monday and have a discussion around that. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked to a few people just today and all from, you know, similar in similar situations and some of the same themes have come out. And one thing that I'm, I've come away just even from this conversation is just what you said there, Mark, kind of that big picture perspective. No one that we talked today has this narrow, um, small focus. They may in terms of their business, but, but they really do understand the big picture. That's what I've heard uh, a little bit of from what we've talked about just today. Well, that's been great. Thanks very much for joining us today, Mark. And thank you for sharing your story. Again, I'm thrilled. I, I, I nerd out on this stuff. I love chatting with people like yourself. So I'm always happy to continue that uh, conversation offline as well. And I'm really glad we're connected now. So what's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or about True Local? Yeah. So for True Local, obviously just truelocal.ca, www.trulocal.ca. For me personally, LinkedIn is probably going to be the best bet. So you can just find my name, Mark LaFleur, Mark with a C. And then, yeah, for social, it would be uh, just at True Local, pretty much across the board. Okay, great. All right. Well, that does it for today's episode, folks. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, friends, and remember, it all starts with one.